This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hello, everybody. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week, and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. We get into all kinds of topics like mindsets and attitudes and focus, sportsmanship, winning and losing, crazy parents on the sidelines. I'll tell you, I, I love what I do because I get to talk to all kinds of people every week, and it's interesting the people that I, I meet in my office who will bring their kids in or they'll come in on their own for different types of therapy questions or topics that we want to get into. We talk about things like how to focus under pressure. We get into things about the difference between winning and losing. You know, one of the things that, that I love doing is helping people reach their goals. And sports is just a great discipline because you can do all kinds of fun things. You can win, you can lose, you can compete, you can get frustrated, you can be happy, you can be angry. The range of emotions in sports runs a gamut. Today we're going to have a fun show because I'm going to be interviewing an individual from England. His name is Stefan Renwick. He's a sports psychology expert over there. And he's written a book, very interesting book, called inside the mind of a gambler and he's going to be joining us after our first break and he'll be on for the rest of the show live from england and we're going to talk about sports gambling we're also going to talk about sports psychology overseas you know i've been in practice in my in my 39th year here in the kansas city area i graduated in 1981 from the california school of professional psychology in san diego and moved back to kansas city where i grew up started working in this field and quite frankly when I began people thought it was to be honest with you, a bunch of BS I interviewed around the country uh, stopped at the Olympic Training Center on the way back as I moved back and was basically told they didn't need PhD types of people telling us telling quote telling us what's wrong with our athletes then when I got back to the Kansas City area I interviewed at some of the small local colleges, and one of the athletic directors told me he didn't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft, and that's a direct quote. It's an older gentleman who quite frankly just didn't get it. To this day, there are still a lot of people who don't believe in sports psychology, sports psychologists, the mental aspect. I think it's just hard work and pushing yourself. Well. I always like to say when you have two athletes who are physically the same, the one with a stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. There are a lot of factors that go into the world of sport. And when you watch 
college football games. Look at the enthusiasm, the excitement, the energy, the emotion. And there's so much that goes into sport. And I don't care if you play an individual sport, a team sport. You're in your teens, you're in your 30s, you're in your 50s. You're out on the golf course at 75. You want to you want to do well. You want to win. And the mental aspect plays such a key role in this. How you utilize your mind, how you use it, how you make it work for you or against you has such a key role. One of the things I enjoy as a fan when I go to sporting events, just watching people. Watching people. And I enjoy, when I'm a fan, I cheer for my team. But I also like watching how other people do it. And some people take it to an extreme. Some people get so absorbed, their lives focus around their sports team. I know here in Kansas City, there's a rabid, rabid fan base with the Kansas City Chiefs. I've been going to their games since the first game I ever played. I went to the first Super Bowl when I was in seventh grade. I've worked with probably over 30 Chiefs players privately over the years. And I enjoy going to the games. The atmosphere is fun. And it's interesting when you listen to people talk about their passions for sports. You wonder sometimes, how far does that passion go? And that's why I thought it'd be interesting. I got an email from Stefan Renwick from England about gambling addiction with sports. And so we're going to have him on after our break talking about this and get into this with his his book, Inside the Mind of a Gambler. Because sometimes people with sports take it a little bit too far. And they start gambling. And, of course, people who gamble can gamble their life away. It's an addiction just like anything else. Sports is an addiction. One of the key things I try to work with people on in my office is the word balance. You know, and I, and I talk to people about that all the time. What is balance? Does it mean everything's equal? No. It means there's a time and place for everything. And I've I've actually worked with some people who've had some sports gambling addictions in the past. And it's pretty scary because they have basically gambled their life away. They get so caught up in it. I've had people who have had exercise addictions. I had an individual years ago who had to work out at least four or five hours every day. He would get up at three in the morning and ride his bike for 100 miles. Then he would come home, go to work. After work, he would go swim, and then he'd have to run. It was jeopardizing his marriage, which he ended up losing, jeopardized his job, which he ended up losing, because he was so caught up in the fact that he had to do this. And then he became so physically disabled because of all the stress he put in his body, he couldn't exercise anymore, which point he moved away. And it was a very sad story because it was a very successful individual in his mid-30s with two young kids and ended up having his wife leave him. He just wouldn't stop. So why do people develop these addictions? We're going to talk with Stefan Runwick about this in a little bit from the UK and get his opinions and thoughts on that and why people end up gambling to the point that they lose perspective. You know, the greatest thing about sports to me is the energy, the excitement that it brings. And and if you're an athlete, challenging yourself to see what you can do. How far can you push yourself? What can you accomplish? If you're an individual athlete, if you're a, 
a, a triathlete, a, a runner, a swimmer, a cyclist, an endurance athlete. You like to challenge yourself to see what you're capable of doing. If you play on a team sport, there are so many factors that get involved in that. How well can you share? How well can you sacrifice? How well can you work with teammates? How, how important is the aspect of communication? All these different factors play a role. And that's where, you know, I've talked for years about on this show. I've been on the radio now 28 years here in the Kansas City area, 18 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I talk all about, you know, the importance of the mental aspect and how it plays such a key role in success and failure in what you do. And I think if you look at how you prepare, how you get ready, where does your mind play a role in this? What are the goals that you have? What are your fears? What are the distractions? What are the things that get in your way? And where's the point where maybe you go too far? So every week on this show, I try to bring up topics and things I think you'll find interesting. And as I said, we're going to come back from our break, and we're going to bring Stefan Renwick on from the UK. He's going to talk about his new book, Inside the Mind of a Gambler. It offers a fascinating insight into the mind of a gambler and why they do what they do. And it's in the form of a case study of a man called Guy who goes into depth about his gambling addiction. We're going to talk with him about that and get his thoughts also about sports psychology over in the UK, how it works, how prominent it is, how people have accepted it. It's become more accepted here in the United States now. Every day it gets more and more accepted, but there's still a lot of, a lot of barriers and obstacles to it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoy the show. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years. And with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click Products. 
That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back. When your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain. And you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines. But most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week on the Sports Psychology Hours. We talk about the mental side of sports. And, you know, as I mentioned in our first segment, I've been doing this show for 28 years, 18 years here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. And our show's now being broadcast in several cities around the country. And one of the cool things about the Internet and podcasting is that Anybody in the world can listen to you. And I found out the last couple of weeks that our show has been podcasted, uh, listened to over 50,000 times in the last year, which is pretty interesting. And I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a fellow over in the United Kingdom. His name's Stephen Renwick, and he's on the line with us live from the UK this morning. So, Stephen, good morning, or I guess good afternoon for you. How are you today? Uh, yeah, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> So you're what? Say it's about uh, what after twelve your time over there? Yeah, just about twenty past twelve. Okay, okay. Well, listen. Thanks for joining us today. And you've written a book, which we're going to talk to here, talk to you about in a little bit. But I'd like to talk about sports psychology over in the UK because here in the United States, it's I'm one of the very first sports psychologists in this country. We start, I started back in 1981, and basically nobody had heard of it before. And uh, in fact, when I moved back to Kansas City, where I live. I interviewed around town at some of the local schools, and I mentioned earlier one of the athletic directors, one of the schools, says he didn't believe in hocus pocus and witchcraft. So, uh, tell me how how sports psychology is accepted over there. 
Well, sports psychology in uh, in the UK is is growing rapidly. Uh, there's a lot of top athletes coming out saying they use sports psychologists, and it's trickling down to club level competitors now. How'd you get involved in it? Uh, I read a book when I was 17 called called Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. I think his name is. Yes, yeah, very popular uh, book over here. Psychology. Uh, I was a tennis player, and I went to university when I was 26, did my psychology degree, and then did my master's degree when I was 42, finished when I was 43. I was a tennis player, well, I still am, played tennis all my life, and uh, I've shared on this show, I choked a lot under pressure. What about you? Yeah, sometimes, yeah, under pressure, yeah, sometimes. Uh, not every time, but sometimes. Well, you you obviously got a little bit higher up than I did with that, and so that that's why I got into this field because, you know, I try so hard, I push myself to the point where I I I get too nervous and choke. So, what's the main theme that you work with with your clients with with people with? I you have a very expansive website. I've been looking at it, and uh, you work with a lot of different types of people. So, what's the main theme you have with the clients that come in and talk to you? I use a framework called acceptance and commitment therapy. Or ACT, for short. And tell us about that. ACT is um, it's a sort of third wave of CBT, and it looks at creating psychological flexibility, uh, and I apply it to athletes. So it includes things like, you know, dealing with tricky thoughts, uh, dealing with tricky emotions and sensations, um, making sure that you live in a valued-based life, uh, accepting things. Uh, there's like a six, six key aspects to it. Do you find, you know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. How accepting are people of, of working with you on things like this? Uh, my experience has been uh, unbelievable. Uh, very, very accepting to it. They, they, they see the results in the way they're feeling, in the way they're thinking and the way it affects their performance. So, yeah, very, very good. You know, over here in the United States, one of the, the big things that I've talked about for years is the whole area of youth sports and the pressures that parents put on their kids to try to get college scholarships. And, you know, we have organized sports activities at very, very young ages now. I mean, leagues at four and five years of age, which I, I think is ridiculous to have leagues at that age, but nonetheless it's going on. What about over in the U.K.? Is that going on as well? Yeah, I think some some parents can put a lot of pressure on the children um, sometimes going over the top with pressure to perform um, whether it's them wanting to live their dreams through their kids or they're just very competitive or but it does does happen yeah so how do you deal with that at, when you work with them well the, the people I deal with are mainly one-on-one -on -one, so there's a few where the parents come in but it's kind of a so I still use the same framework um, and just keep the communication and try and get people to realize what impact their behavior is having. Tell me your definitions of winning and losing, Stephen. Uh, losing I see as feedback rather than failing. And winning, I think, is winning is to me achieving what you want to achieve, whether you win a match or not. Well, you're right in line with what I think, and it, it's interesting because we're going to get into your book here, Inside the Mind of a Gambler, in, in a little bit, and what I found is that people who have addictions 
have tr- they're, they're so focused on having to win, having to be better than everybody else. They get obsessed with that, and they can get to the point they lose perspective. And any, yeah. you know, anyone with an addiction, they they obviously are not thinking clearly at some point, and they've lost perspective. I mean, and I'm sure you've probably worked with people like that. And where where's the point with with I think sports where people take it to an extreme? Where do you think people sometimes go too far with with their being a fan, of course, in England we hear all about hooliganism, you know, going on over there quite a bit. Yeah. Where, where, do, where do people take it too far? Why do they do that? I think the problem with athletes is they they like to win and they don't like to lose. So even when they're gambling, they still like to feel like they've won. So they'll spend as much money as it takes to feel like they win, which is obviously a problem. So, you obviously, this book that you decided to write. Tell tell us basically how you got into that. Why did you, you decide to write this book? Well, I'm obviously interested in psychology. I've got a friend who was a pathological gambler. So I wanted to combine the two. And it's a case study of, of him and his gambling experience. And uh, he's a former uh, sportsman. So I kind of combined sports psychology, addiction, and psychology together. And what's the main theme that you've uh, put into the book? Well, the, the main theme is uh, to explain what it's like to be a pathological gambler and to offer suggestions on how to uh, break the pattern of behavior. Are you finding, after writing this, that people are contacting you to try to deal with this? Are you finding more and more people are starting to realize they've got some issues? Yeah, I think it's awakened people up to the, the fact that they might have a problem. That's probably the first step to acknowledge you've, you've got a problem with gambling. Um, otherwise, you're just living in denial. So, yeah, the first thing is to accept you have a problem with it. Well, we're going to go to our first break here with you, and we'll come back. We're going to talk about your book and want you to get into a discussion about it and, and about the mind of a gambler and, and then how you can work and help them solve their problems. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me live this morning is Stephen Renwick from the U.K. He's written a book called Inside the Mind of a Gambler. He's a sports psychology expert. From across the seas, and he's joining us live today talking about this. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? 
I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And joining me this morning from the United Kingdom is Stephen Renwick. He's a sports psychology expert over there, a former professional tennis player, who has written a book called Inside the Mind of a Gambler. So, Stephen, so tell us about this book. The, what got you to start to, to decide to write it, first of all, and then tell us, tell us about the theme. And let's get into this whole issue of, of sports gambling. Yeah, I was interested in gambling addiction. Uh, I had a friend who was a pathological gambler. Um, I- teamed up with a psychiatrist in London who specializes in gambling addiction and together we put the book uh, to try and help um, educate and also to hopefully stop people getting addicted to gambling. 
So where's the point where you get people to stop? You know, the United States, people bet on sports all over the place. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what the sport. There's, there's a betting line somewhere. Uh, obviously, it's, it's talked about everywhere. It's on, it's on the news. It's on the, the uh, cable TV every day. You hear shows on the radio about it all the time. It's everywhere. So how, how do you get people to recognize that they've got an issue and a problem with this? Well, I think um, if somebody is repeatedly thinking about gambling all the time, constantly looking for opportunities to gamble, um, spending lots of money, um, things like that, they're, they're signs probably that you've got a problem. Well, I would agree with you on that. So how do you get somebody to admit it? How do you get somebody to sit there and, and say, you know, I've got a problem? Because most people don't want to admit they have a problem with whatever it is. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the time it's, it's even though people might tell you you've got a problem, you, you have to kind of realize it yourself. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that until they've bottomed out and they're, they're at the point of uh, losing everything they've got. Can you t- share a story with us about maybe a client you've worked with that that's happened to? Yeah, about a client who spending about £100,000, um, lost everything, ended up going bankrupt, and still wanted to gamble. So it's a, it's a terrible addiction. So how would you help him? Well, you've got to make them realize that the current strategy isn't working. A lot of them are looking for a big win or a quick fix, and hopefully... In their, you know, in their mind, they're thinking if I, if I get a big win, that'll sort my life out. Uh, unfortunately, that line of thinking doesn't work. So it's a case of sitting down, helping them to restructure their life, and realise that um, what they're looking for doesn't exist. Um, that, that's that's where I start really, and that that begins with controlling um, how how they spend their time how they get access to money, and uh, where they have opportunities to gamble. So driving a different way to work so you don't drive past the booking shop, the, the betting shop and things like that. Time, money, location. What's the difference between someone who is able to overcome this and someone who can't? What do you think psychologically? Is there something to do with their upbringing? You know, we look at – when I work with people, they're – I always like to say we're reflections of three things. The, the way we were raised, our genetics, and the environment we're in now. And we have no control of our genetics or we were raised, but we do have a lot of control over the environment we're in now. So how do you approach it from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, a lot of gamblers start initially because they have a, they have a, a big win or a win, and that sets them off. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think the combination of, obviously, genes and the environment – and I think, I think they have to, first of all, accept they've got a problem um, and then learn how to deal with, with thoughts or impulses to go and gamble, learn how to deal with those so they're not cog- cognitively fused with them. Um, and also, a lot of gamblers gamble to escape their problems. So, And then if, develop more problems by doing that. Yeah, so, so let's say, for example... Someone has an anxiety, feels anxious, so they, they or depressed, so they go and gamble to try and feel better, 
it's a very short-term solution. So it kind of works and it doesn't work. So it's a case of uh, helping them to deal with those uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and sensations and create a behavior change using the ACT uh, model. You know, for anyone who comes into my office and works with me, and I've, I've been a sports psychologist for 39 years here in the Kansas City area, and I've worked with athletes around the country, um, the first step is admitting that they've got an issue they want to talk about. And, you know, oftentimes I have parents bring their teenage kids in who don't necessarily want to come in the first time because I don't want to go talk to a shrink. And then, you know, we'll start talking and they'll realize, well, this isn't talking to a shrink. It's talking to somebody about dealing with your mind and helping you with your perspective and attitude about what you're doing in sports and life. And so how do you get someone to come in? And I guess my question is for someone who's got a gambling problem that could be an addiction. How do you get them? What, what's the step to get them to come in and talk to you? What's the first step? Well, if someone makes an initial contact, I'll have a, like an intake interview. And I always try and make it non-judgmental and try and normalize their experience so they don't feel judged. Do you normally have a family member contacting you about somebody that they're concerned about, or do you have the person who's got the addiction contacting you? Well, I've had family members ask me, but then the person who they're talking about wouldn't seek help. So normally it's the person who um, contacts directly. So how do you get that person to come in and then work with you? And then I guess the key thing I want to know is how do you get them to admit they've got a problem? Where's the point where they start to admit they've got a problem and realize they need to do something about it versus stay in that state of denial where they don't? Yeah, a lot of the time it's um, getting things out of their mind onto paper so they can actually download the sort of information and see it from a different perspective. I, you know, the, I, sorry, yeah, go ahead, yeah. go, go ahead. Yeah, to see, see what it's cost them, you know, how it's affecting them emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, financially, and then when they see it in front of them, they can take a step back and, and, they, and they start to realize that they have an issue you know one of the things that i do a lot of with my clients is have them keep journals yeah and keep a daily journal at the end of the day i said you know before you get to bed take a few minutes and write down how did today go what went yeah. on and what i what i found is that a lot of people have shared with me how beneficial that is for them because then they start to get it puts when you write it on paper you see it and it makes you think about it, and, I, and I'm assuming that's the same thing with, with, with this issue as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, they can see it. Um, it's a bit like downloading all the information. It, it frees up their mind a bit as well and gives them a bit of space. So when they do that and they start to recognize they've got a problem, how important is that towards getting them to start to work towards a solution? That, that's probably the key thing. That's that's the most important step. That's the first step they've got to take. If they if they keep denying it, they'll keep they won't change. So yeah, that's definitely the first step. To admit they've got a problem, and then work towards helping them to change their behaviour patterns so that they don't feel like they've got to go and gamble. Real quick, what's the difference between somebody who admits they've got a problem and somebody who doesn't? Um. I think it's, it's probably probably fear of uh, 
what's actually happening. It's probably a fear. It's like a protective mechanism. So you don't have to look at yourself and see the true reflection. I think that's a great, great point. We're going to finish our last segment with that, talking about fear and how to overcome that. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, joining me live from overseas in the United Kingdom is Stephen Renwick. He's a sports psychology expert over there. He's written a book called Inside the Mind of a Gambler. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. 
Good morning, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WTB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and today I'm privileged to have with me online from the United Kingdom, Stephen Renwick. He is a sports psychology expert, a former professional tennis player, who has written a book called Inside the Mind of a Gambler. And I'm sure you can get the book on Amazon. It's Right, right Stephen, it's available, I'm, I'm sure, everywhere pretty much. Yeah. Okay, so in our last segment here, let, let's talk about how you, if we can say, get someone to overcome their addiction? What do you do? How do you get them to do it? And and what's 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 the key? When and you know, and this this could really apply to anything. Really, we're talking about gambling, but addictions. Everybody has some kind of an addiction to something. Yeah. Well, the first thing is to look at why why they're gambling. So, let's say, for example, someone is depressed. So they have thoughts, feelings, sensations linked with, you know, I don't, I don't feel worthy or, you know, I hate myself or I'm bored. Um, they get uh, feelings of stress and anxiety. So then in order to deal with those feelings, thoughts and sensations, which they don't really want, they look for fix-it behaviors. So a fix-it behavior could be drinking, gambling, smoking, anything like that. And that temporarily is a solution because it temporarily gets rid of those feelings long term. So the problem with those behaviors is they move you away from what's most important in your life, which are your values. So it's like a vicious cycle and then finally they're in like a crisis point. So what does it take to get someone to admit they're in that crisis and then to get some help for it? Well, um, again, you, you drawing this out for them so they can actually see their life on a piece of paper. It's, it sounds simple, but it's actually very powerful. Um, and also then looking at what's most important to them and making them understand that the behaviors they're doing aren't meeting their values. So as soon as they have that realization, because most of the time people are on autopilot, they're just going through life doing behaviors, not thinking about it. And then suddenly they fall into a, a big hole, like bankruptcy or, you know, things like that. And then they, they sort of realize then, oh, you know, I've got no money, I've, I've gone bankrupt. But most of the time we're on autopilot. So this is about allowing them to have choices that they consciously can think about that move them towards what's most important to them in life. How important is having a strong support system in your family to help you get through that? Uh, well, the thing with gambling is it's, it's a hidden addiction. So it might sound bizarre, but a lot of family members might not even realize the person has a gambling addiction. Exactly. That's, that's why I asked that question, because that, I hear that a lot, and I've read that a lot, that people with it, especially, well, with any type of addiction, a lot of people hide it from their family members. But especially, they hide it, they feel embarrassed, they feel ashamed, they're in debt. Yeah, the embarrassment. And unfortunately, a solution for in their mind, is to commit suicide a lot of the time as a way out. So the successes you've had with people with this problem basically have, have happened because of what? What's been the main reason you've been able to get have some success? I think the main reason is um, using the ACT framework of acceptance and commitment therapy to sh get a shift in behavior so they can understand that they can still have thoughts and feelings and sensations that are uncomfortable, but they can choose a different behavior. That's the key. Okay. What's the difference between going out and 
gambling and having fun versus having an addiction with it? Well, if you're gambling out and having fun and you're not waking up and your first thought is, I need to go to the betting shop or, you know, I've got an hour off, I'm going to go and place a bet, there's a crossover when it becomes a problem than if someone is just socially gambling, you know, say once a week or so, and they're not constantly thinking about it and, you know, avoiding things and going to the betting shop and using that as an escape the biggest success you've had with this basically has has happened because people basically start to to accept and understand what that they've they've got a that they have an issue they've got a problem they need help they've got to do something about it or is it just that that they've just fallen so far down that they they can't pull themselves back up what what would you say yeah i mean most of the time it's people who are in a crisis where they've tried everything and it's not working and they they're digging a deeper hole and then they, they uh, seek help. What do you love about sports? You've played professionally as a tennis player. You work with athletes all, you know, in, in England. What do you love about sports? Uh, I love the feeling from doing exercise. I like the social aspects of sports. Um, I like competing. And I like constantly improving in what I'm trying to do. Do you work? And, uh, I, think it, I think it teaches you a lot about life as well life lessons what um the mindset of parents over in england with with kids you know like i said over here in the united states there's so much pressure now organized sports at younger and younger ages it's a huge business i'm assuming it's the same probably over there as well yeah yeah i mean i i think it's the kids enjoy it if they just go and let them play and not put too much pressure on them well, great line because that's the name of my book. Just let him play, um, right? Right, <laughs> and 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 and. But seriously, that's the name of that book because instead, I think our focus needs to be just let kids go out and play and have fun, not worry about the score. Winning and losing to me shouldn't even be important until you're about thirteen or fourteen years of age. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, I'm not sure, but I think the Williams sisters didn't compete until they were a bit older. Yes, yeah. And uh, they're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've, they've done quite well for themselves. But, I, you know, here's the thing, and, and, and this has been a fascinating interview with you, and, and once again we're going to talk about where people can get your book, Inside the Mind of a Gambler, here in a few moments. But you've gotten into the world of sports psychology, as have, as have I, to help people. And, you know, I, I think what I love doing – with this profession is when, when somebody comes in and they've accomplished their goals and I've helped them accomplish their goals. And the key thing for me is I think what especially with young parents, with their kids talking about fun, the enjoyment of the sport, the enjoyment of the experience. And that's what, that's what I, I, I enjoy. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, that, that's probably why, you know, started playing sports in the first place because you enjoy it and you love it. And you, you know, you're playing five, six hours a day having fun. Um, if it becomes a chore and you, you, you're sort of pressured and you're not really enjoying it, I don't think that gets the best out of the athlete. What would be one of the most enjoyable stories you can share with us before we wrap up here, Stephen, with a client you've had where you helped them overcome something? Um, I, can't, I can't talk about names because I work with uh, a lot of athletes. Right, uh, we don't need a name, just, 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 yeah. just a story about someone. Um. Let me have a think. 
I think I think a lot maybe uh, some athletes who have a, a fear of re-injury um, comes to mind. Helping them to play football again, um, helping them to go into tackles without fearing they're going to get injured again. Uh, that's one example. Um, I'd have to have a think, really, what uh, what the cases I've had. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that fear of re-injury. And I have uh, about a half dozen young athletes I'm working with right now. I've got a gymnast I'm working with who's been out for two years with uh, ankle surgeries. I've got a young lady I just saw yesterday in my office who's a college basketball player who tore ACL in one knee, then tore it in the other knee, just as she was coming back. And I'll tell you what, one that had come to mind, I had a, an athlete who had a panic disorder, and uh, they couldn't step onto the court at all without feeling like they've got to run off. And uh, he was ashamed because they really loved the sport. So the, the big turnaround with them was to getting them to actually play the sport again and have fun and enjoy it. Um, it, took a, it took a while, but uh, eventually they were back on there playing the sport again, whereas before they couldn't even step onto the court. Right. Yeah, that's a great story. Listen, Steve, Stephen Remwick, I want to thank you for joining me from the United Kingdom this morning or afternoon of your time. So share with us how people can get a hold of you and where they can get your book, Inside the Mind of a Gambler. Uh, Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk. It's available any any bookstore, uh, Trafford Publishing. Well, I want to th- thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a fascinating interview. I appreciate you taking the time to call us up. And uh, I hope people get a hold of you. And, and, and thanks, thanks for reaching out to me also. I appreciate you uh, finding me and listening to my podcast. And I, I appreciate it. And hopefully we can, we can talk again. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Dr. Jacobs. Okay, take care of yourself. Appreciate it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Hope you enjoyed this show today. Very fascinating interview with this individual. And, you know, it's nice to talk to other people in the same profession as I and what they do. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. You go to our website, 810WHB.com. Go to additional programming, and you'll find it there. Shows are also podcasted on my website, winnersunlimited.com. Go to the podcast page. You can reach me several ways. You can get a hold of me at my office at 816-561-5556. Check out my email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. 
when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.